My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Melissa LaRue and Chris Ramsarup. Migrant workers are workers mostly from the Global South who have been admitted to Canada purely to fill a role in the labour market on what for most is an explicitly temporary basis under highly restrictive legal conditions that are far harsher than those faced by even the worst-off segment of workers who are slotted into the legal category of Canadian citizen. They've been in the news a lot in the last few years, and it hasn't been pretty. Truly awful commentary has come not only from those in coffee shops and cable news networks who revel in their xenophobia, or from the broad mainstream who clothe it in claims to common sense and national interest, but also from a significant proportion of those who understand themselves as progressive or left, who often frame it as defending workers even as they reproduce, sometimes overtly, sometimes in cloaked ways, nationalism and, frequently, racism. Of course, migrant justice groups, anti-racist organizers, and many worker organizers inside and outside of the formal labor movement have vigorously put forward different narratives, narratives that seek to identify root causes and to build solidarity between migrant and Canadian workers. And it is in its very earliest stages, but some are translating this last into action. Chris Ramsarup is an organizer with Justicia for Migrant Workers, a grassroots group which organizes migrant workers in Ontario and British Columbia, particularly in the agricultural sector. Melissa LaRue is the volunteer and outreach coordinator with the Windsor Workers Education Centre, also sometimes referred to as the Windsor Workers Action Centre, a community organization that organizes with low-wage and precarious workers in Windsor, Ontario, to help improve their lives and working conditions. The groups have collaborated before, and after yet another panic in Windsor in the summer of 2014 about migrant workers supposedly stealing the jobs of Canadian workers at a local employer, they decided they needed to do something. In the months since, they have taken a number of steps to build solidarity between migrant workers and Canadian workers, and to challenge the divisive, nationalist rhetoric that dominates in the mainstream and in many so-called progressive contexts as well. They talk with me about the issues, the organizing, and the huge amount that remains to be done on this issue across the country. We spoke by Skype to phone. My name is Chris Ramsrup. I'm an organizer with the collective called Justicia Justice for Migrant Workers. We're based both in Toronto and in British Columbia. We've got allies and activists across the country, and we work with primarily agricultural temporary foreign workers but it's spread out to other industries, and we work with both non-status and migrant workers who are employed predominantly in Ontario, but people who are across Canada. My name is Melissa LaRue. I'm the volunteer and outreach coordinator at the Windsor Workers Education Centre. The Windsor Workers Education Centre was founded in 2008, and essentially what it does is it provides assistance to workers who are non-unionized and are undergoing some sort of issue in the workplace. They may not know exactly what the issue entails, 
but they come take help from us and we kind of navigate them through the sticky mess that is EI or WSIB or an employment standards claim. We also run educational programming around workers' rights to ensure that workers have an understanding of what their rights are in the workplace and how to stand up for their rights. Why don't one or both of you lay out some of the ways that migrant workers and migrant work get talked about in Canada and some of the problems that you see with that? For myself, I look through a trajectory of history. Canada has always been unwelcoming to groups, particularly racialized communities, who we believe and who we create and characterize as inferior. And we've done this to the Irish. We've done this to Chinese workers, Japanese workers, South Asian workers, predominantly racialized workers from the global south. We've always stereotyped them as taking away jobs, weakening our labor standards, increasing health and safety violations, and having a negative effect or impact on our labor unions. And rather than focusing on the individuals, what you know, I think we always have to question is why was there never focused on changing immigration laws? And I think whether we're looking at the 1890s or the early part of the 20th century, when Chinese workers, for instance, were trying to organize and form unions, there are several periods of times where, whether it was the Knights of Labor. And that was a continent-wide workers' organization in North America in the mid to late 19th century. Or the BC Feds um, in British Columbia, for instance, which took a very hostile approach. And we've continued throughout the 20th and 21st century of this idea of exclusion and the idea that certain people, just by their presence in Canada, are responsible for deplorable conditions, rather than looking to see how do we change and make our laws proactive. And second of all, I guess when we think about this idea of labor segmentation. And uh, labor segmentation is the idea that people get sorted into different kinds of jobs, different areas of the labor market, depending on other aspects of who they are. So who has access to which jobs depends on experiences of racialization, of gender, and so on. When we think about this idea of labor segmentation, where communities, whether it's white working class workers and racialized workers, what employers do, what capitalists do in general, is pit people against each other. And I think our starting point is that the only way that a working class can be unified is by bringing racialized workers and white workers together. It's been difficult. It's been difficult to think about this in agricultural organizing because the CCN Agricultural Worker Program enables and empowers employers to pit migrant workers, whether they're from Mexico or the Caribbean, against one another. So it's thinking about ways of finding commonplace, commonality, learning from history so we don't make the mistakes, and trying to position migrant workers and racialized communities not as people to be seen as a threat to labor unions, but to be part of our communities and part of our unions. So I think that over the last little while, with the expansion of the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, rather than thinking about how do we change our laws to make sure that no worker is tied to employer, nobody could be deported for being injured at work or standing up for basic rights, such as you know, wanting or desiring a bathroom break, we should be saying that migrant workers are not taking away jobs, but addressing the root causes, which are the power of employers, weak government standards, and immigration laws that divide or engage in labor segmentation. So I think that with the RBC crisis, where South Asian or Indian workers, for instance, were brought in to do computer jobs in Toronto, whether it was uh, Tim Hortons in British Columbia, McDonald's in Alberta, or HD Mining in British Columbia as well, where temporary foreign workers were seen as taking away Canadian jobs, it's one, trying to counter that, two, trying to take the focus from the workers themselves, 
and three, trying to hold the government accountable and to try to bridge groups. And I think that's what's so important about the work that Justicia and the Windsor Workers Education Center are trying to do, is trying to change the narrative of pitting workers against each other and bring people together. Who are migrant workers and what is it about the legal context in terms of their presence within Canada that makes their situation different than non-migrant workers? Maybe Chris could speak to the differences, but in the case of who we help at the Windsor Workers Education Center, we see that even though that there are very specific legal differences, there are similarities things still like cultural backgrounds and language barriers that prevent, say, newcomers to Canada from accessing certain resources to even the way that they're taken advantage of in the workplace. I guess a very concrete example to how there could be some similarities between migrant workers and immigrant workers would be in the case of international students, we found language barriers would limit where they could work. And if there's a small pocket of that culture, then there's only so many employers. So the employers can demand them basically to pay into the table and to take away their rights in the workplace. And if they complain, there's very few other places that will hire them because of their accents or their language barriers. So in some regards, I think there are so many similarities, and those are some of the things that we try to address in the collaboration. Before I talk about how the law constructs migrant workers as vulnerable workers, I think it's important to take a step back and to talk about two other phenomenons. One is the role of colonialism, and particularly Canadian colonialism, and our involvement through corporations in the global south. And second of all, when we're thinking about globalization and our trade policies, and the responsibility that Canadian corporations, particularly mining corporations, have negatively impacted countries, whether we're talking about Central America or the Philippines. And rather than thinking of migration as totally the choice of people, one is constructed where it's only when employers, for instance, need them, that is migrant workers, and two, people are being forced off their lands because of what Canadian companies are doing overseas. So I think that's a guess, important starting point. Second of all, the role of globalization policies through the International Monetary Fund and World Bank, for instance, Jamaica and Mexico, they have seen most of their money going towards servicing debt rather than building their local infrastructure. And that happens because of the negative consequences of economic globalization. So I think for many of us, that's a starting point of why people migrate, why people are leaving the global south to come to Canada. The second part is rather than looking at the history where certain communities, i.e. people from Europe, are able to come and set up and to lay roots in this country, to lay a foundation, migrant workers don't have that opportunity. And there's four or five common themes when we're thinking about temporary foreign workers. We have to remember that temporary foreign worker is a larger umbrella of several different migrant worker programs, which include living caregivers, seasoned agricultural workers, quote-unquote low-skilled workers, people working at McDonald's, Dairy Queen, mushroom factories, and high-skilled workers who are IT or music professionals. With the living caregivers, with the seasoned agricultural workers, and with the quote-unquote low-skilled workers, there are several similar traits. Number one, workers are tied to an employer. Two, people have a closed work permit. Three, they're only here because they're here through an employer-driven program and doing quote-unquote jobs that Canadians won't do. And let's deconstruct that a little bit later. And four, that workers could be sent home at the whim of the employer. So that means that, for instance, when a worker is injured, the employer can send that worker home. And in many cases, these workers are being banned or, quote-unquote, blacklisted and will never be able to work here in Canada again if they get in conflict with their employers. With the low-skilled workers and the seasoned agriculture worker program, it's also important to note that none of these workers have the ability to establish roots here or to become permanent residents here in Canada. 
managed migration programs are the 21st century version of indentureship. It's where employers and governments can control a population of people through unfree labor. And this is what creates precariousness. So coming back to the beginning about how the law constructs vulnerability, when we think about our immigration laws, for instance, which permit people to be tied to an employer, so this is what I guess at the federal level constructs migrant workers differently than, than Canadian workers. And second of all, all workers, as Melissa say, we face a very precarious labor market. And when we talk about precarious, we mean that people who don't have proper protections at work, that they're more flexible, many people are working part-time, they're not provided with the basics, for instance, say like a health plan or a pension plan, and most importantly, less people, particularly in the private sector, have the democratic ability to exercise changes in the workplace, which in most cases means to form a union. So it's no coincidence that in Canada, we see that the highest levels of migrant workers being employed in agriculture, services, the health sector, and these are all industries that have extremely low, if not any, forms of unionization. So the fact that, one, there's really bad labor standards, employment standards. Number two, the absence of proactive enforcement to protect people's rights, coupled with the fact that we have terrible immigration laws that deny migrant workers to exert their rights and their ability to set up roots here in Canada. This is what compounds and creates vulnerable conditions. And this is what makes migrant work exploitative. Not simply you know, that migrant workers are somehow poor because of individual traits, but because the law denies them the rights that you and I have. Chris talked a little bit about some of the prior instances of Justicia and the Workers' Centre working together. There's been several collaborations between the Windsor Workers' Educational Centre and Justicia. We have done, I guess, different marches, such as the Pilgrimage to Freedom, which is uh -huh. a 12-hour march from Leamington to Windsor to highlight the rights of migrant workers. And members of WEC have been there throughout our organizing and have been important allies. So there's been that collaboration. There's been several fundraisers that we've supported, I guess, through, you know, by attending and participating and discussing the issues of migrant workers and Canadian workers. And I think that there's very few spaces that I know of that do really important work for non-unionized workers. And I think just by the nature of WEC existing in the Windsor-Essex area, it's a natural relationship that has developed to fight for precarious workers in general. And Melissa talked about the beginnings of the current collaboration. In June, a board member had reached out to Chris specifically because we had a situation where we had full-time employees being replaced by temporary foreign workers. CBC had done a huge story about it, and it seemed to us, again, the story was Canadian workers versus temporary foreign workers, where we very well know that there's a precarious work environment there, and it wasn't enough just to say, well, they're taking Canadian jobs. We have to do something to ensure that these workers, although possibly taking these Canadian jobs, we have to make sure that we're reaching out to them some way, somehow, to ensure that it's still a safe work environment. And the stories that we were hearing from these workers were unnerving. So we reached out to Lucicia to see what we can do and how we can start building bridges between Canadian workers and temporary foreign workers to start having these dialogues to push for change in these work environments. I think the context of the last two years has been extreme hysteria about migrant workers in the media and in local communities across Canada. You've got people saying that, you know, they don't even see Canada anymore because of so many migrant workers in our community. And the xenophobia and hysteria that we've been seeing all over the place has created uneasiness, a fear of what potential consequences could happen. So we thought it was important to step in, change the narrative that migrant workers are simply taking away Canadian jobs, 
and to try to build something here where vulnerable workers in general get together, talk about who the common enemy is, have the tools to talk about naming what economic globalization, what precarious labor means, what history means. So I think that what we needed to do was to learn from the mistakes that were happening across Canada and try to do something here. And there were so much opportunities. First of all, the fact that we had the space, the fact that we had committed allies, that the workers themselves wanted to engage in a tough conversation. They knew something was funny in the sense that, well, it's not simply that these people from somewhere else are coming to take our job. It's the fact that the employer got away with this. And I think third, that workers know in general that we're all trying to provide for our families. And it's the ability through loopholes in our laws that lead to these divisions. After our initial set of meetings, we decided to get together to talk about how we tried to discuss how do we develop an agenda, how do we bring workers together, and how do we proceed forward. So we've had four or five forums, discussions, starting in June. And the first one was basically talking about the nuts and bolts of migration and the nuts and bolts of what creates our precarious labor market. And we had workers come together. They ate together. They laughed together. They shared really tough conversations about racism and white supremacy and gendered workplaces. And even though those conversations were tough, there was still a commonality and a desire to try to move forward and to bring people together. One of the important things that came out of everybody's concern was housing issues and knowing that migrant workers who are excluded from our Landlord Tenant Act and our Residential Tenancies Act here in Ontario and across Canada don't have the same equal protections for housing. And this is what enables employers to basically keep workers like sardines into confined spaces. So I think people were really concerned and they tried to figure out what they can do. And there was an opportunity that presented themselves out of this first conversation. And I guess I could turn that over to uh, Melissa. After our initial conversation, we had always planned to have follow-up meetings to continue to have workers coming together because, of course, at the end of the first discussion, we allowed the workers to let us know what would you like as your next step. How can we facilitate conversations or events or forums? What would you like us to do? In the process of planning the second forum, I received a phone call from the deputy mayor of Tecumseh, and she was very upset stating that Bondwell, or Green Giant as we know it back home, uh, and this is an employer, was planning on building bunkhouses in this warehouse. And knowing the area, being in the area for so long, we knew that warehouse at one point had a fire in it, at one point was cold food storage, and possibly batteries were stored in there. And they were just going in front of town council to change bylaws so that they could house 45 temporary foreign workers there. So the first thing I did was call the allies in the community and get everybody sitting around the table to decide what do we do about this? What is our plan of attack? How do we broach this? Because for the first time, we're looking at a situation where they're looking for bylaw changes and uh, zoning permit changes. So is there some way that we can change the zoning bylaw to include almost like a Landlord-Tenant Act, something like that, something where there's strong minimum standards for living conditions, if we can somehow force them into the community to house people within the community, because we don't want workers segregated behind a high fence, even though the argument that the company was saying they're on a main bus line, they'll be able to have access to the community. We knew this wasn't going to happen. And the amazing thing was all the allies around the table in the initial conversation all agree that this is the way we have to do it. 
In later conversations with the larger labor community, I found out they were planning on attending the same meeting as us, but with the stance they're taking Canadian jobs. So bringing those individuals into the conversation and explaining the situations to which workers actually are experiencing in these bunkhouses, it was just reaching out to more and more allies to get everybody on the same page. So come the actual decision day, we would all be standing in solidarity with these workers, hopefully creating some sort of minimum standards that other places and other communities could look towards. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if it's unfortunate or not, but the Friday before that event, a huge fire broke out next to this warehouse, and it burnt down the warehouse beside the one that was supposed to house these temporary foreign workers, and the issue got tabled. So this issue of housing and how it can be unsafe and then watching the same warehouse burn down was just showing that there's no minimum standards for these housing. So that really dictated the next conversation we had with migrant workers around housing and the fact that there aren't any minimum standards and what we can constructively do about it, but also talk about how the community came together on the side of migrant workers fighting in solidarity to come up with a better situation. Give me a sense of the kinds of conversations that people from the Windsor Workers' Center have been having with allies and colleagues in the broader labor movement in Windsor. In the larger labor context, I think any sort of narratives about temporary foreign workers all have a tendency to be the same, where it's temporary foreign workers are stealing Canadian jobs, and it's very rare to hear stories that are different. You might hear them at a smaller committee level, but when you see the larger news press, even things like the Prestige Food case, these were unionized workers, and I was a part of that union for a short while, and still this issue, what happened in the plant, wasn't addressed with members. What was really going on wasn't even mentioned. And unless you read the news and put two and two together, that conversation is not really happening. I don't want to sound so negative, but the reality is is that there aren't very many discussions going on in unionized environments, at least to what I've been privy to, and we're trying to change that. So I'm interested in hearing in a bit more detail about the process of challenging and changing that narrative. From the perspective of justice for migrant workers, it's fourfold. It's using progressive media to challenge when labor leaders, for instance, are coming out with positions which we believe are dangerous to both migrant workers and Canadians. So challenging and putting the gauntlet back at them to engage in a dialogue about how they respond in a proactive way. Number two, it's through engaging with allies. Labor unions are heterogeneous. There's a lot of rank-and-file workers who are sympathetic and who are interested in engaging in change. So finding the spaces to engage with those workers across Ontario, whether it's through human rights committees, whether it's through general membership meetings, whether it's through radical caucuses, and I think that's been another important place to try to bring up the questions, the tough questions, and to develop scenarios about how to respond to workers in a progressive manner. So I think those are two of the components that I see, you know, challenging. Number two, causing trouble when necessary. Three, engaging in dialogue. And four, I guess through trial and error, we are needing to think through with this particular project what our next steps are. The first couple have been very good. And I guess it's thinking with a lot of the workers who are going home now in January, February, March, when new workers are coming, how do we continue the conversation? How do we reach out? 
right now, this is the initial stages of this conversation about showing that workers do have some commonalities and trying to figure out what other opportunities present themselves where we can insert this idea of people coming together rather than people being divided against one another. I asked Chris to talk a little bit more about the actual moments of encounter that they had facilitated between migrant and Canadian workers. I think the conversations are somewhat, it's more loose. It is facilitated. It's creating the space where people can say things to one another, but also understand that it's coming from a place of love, but not a place of anger and hatred. Just thinking about the second conversation, you had migrant workers and Canadian workers crying. I guess just in that space of being frustrated, angry because of what they see, frustrated and angry that this is one of the first spaces that they can actually engage in a conversation or a moment of encounter. And, you know, the place of crying was not simply just out of anger at one another, but of an idea of solidarity, of knowing that particularly racialized workers, they share commonality in their workplaces of being treated differently. So I thought that was extremely important, right? It was really tough to see that and to see different people crying, but it was also important to bridge the gaps, right, and to understand that there was people wanting to come together in solidarity. Chris and Melissa spoke with me about tentative future plans to create more opportunities to bring migrant workers and Canadian workers together for dialogue and learning. And they also spoke about a highly successful recent speaking tour that went to numerous cities in southern Ontario, including Windsor, where migrant workers themselves spoke about their situations. A rare opportunity for migrant workers to give voice to their realities publicly and for the broader community to learn from those experiences. I then asked what advice they had for the much broader cross-section of people across the country who have not yet had that sort of opportunity to learn about how we can educate ourselves and how we can begin to act. So I just came back from Halifax. I was at a conference. It was also a really important space to meet people who are thinking about organizing with migrant workers in Nova Scotia. And there are communities all across Canada where people are coming together to talk about how do we be allies, how do we show support and solidarity. So I think first thing is trying to facilitate a larger conversation amongst communities, engaging in lessons learned, the do's and don'ts of it, and three, to work towards how do we develop national speaking tours, how do we develop concerted actions, how do we build when workers are resisting in a workplace in Essex County, that that message is happening all across Canada, so people are able to put pressure on government officials, politicians, and employers. So I think it's about developing these larger networks, learning from our mistakes and learning from the successes, and having the ability for us to travel to different places to share our experiences. These are some of the first steps in moving forward. There are many times, you know, particularly when injuries happen, when people are being sent home, when deportations, it's extremely tough doing this organizing, doing this work. There are a lot of heartbreaks, but there's also potential opportunities. And I know going to Halifax and meeting all these sisters and brothers who are just like, we feel something here. We know something is wrong. We don't know the entire picture yet, but we want change. We want to fight for change. That's like one of the most inspiring things for me. So I think it's important to try to enable those things and to keep fighting on the ground. You have been listening to my interview with Chris Ramsaroop of Justicia for Migrant Workers and Melissa LaRue of the Windsor Workers Action Center. We've been talking about their efforts to build solidarity between migrant and Canadian workers. To learn more about their respective organizations, go to justicia, numeral 4, migrantworkers.org and www.ac.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, 
or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.